It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 68, The Battle of Micmash and the Courage of Jonathan. What is it about bravery and courage that inspires the human emotions? Maybe it's just the history junkie in me, or the fact that today's ground is one of those men's conference messages that inspire everyone so much. But seriously, what is it about the World War I soldier who risked his life by crawling out of a trench facing certain death to rescue his friend or any story of any other man who puts his life on the line for another. It's such the Christian theme to sacrifice one's life for a cause or a friend. I like the scene in the movie War Horse prior to the catastrophic cavalry charge when an entire regiment is decimated by German machine gun fire. Just prior to the, this scene, the decorated English officer gave a gallant speech and ended it with these words. Be brave. Bravery, courage, and valor are such a death to oneself. It's that Victorian theme again, of honor and duty. Here is Webster's 1828 definition of courage. Bravery, intrepidity, that quality of mind which enables men to encounter danger and difficulties with firmness or without fear or depression of spirits, valor, boldness, resolution. I didn't expect to find this quote from Aristotle, but Brainy Quote said it was from him. Here is Aristotle's quote on courage. You will never do anything in this world without courage. It is the greatest quality of mind next to honor. What a value these men put on courage. Ernest Hemingway said, Courage was grace under pressure. And this from a man who fought in World War I as well. We saw the concept of courage at work with Joshua. But here we arrive at Jonathan's brave act. Another aspect of Christian boldness and courage is I've heard this statement so many times to the point where I don't know the origin of it, but here it goes. You know when you are in God's will, when you are completely in over your head. This is a quote that really derives itself from the fact that God loves to use the humble and weak and uneducated to achieve his purposes. Now, before we arrive at the scene, let's discuss the attribute of boldness. In the Old Testament, the Bible speaks of courage, but in the New Testament, you see boldness spoken of. It has a similar definition as courage. Let's look at the book of Acts to paint a picture of boldness. Jesus has come and died on the cross, and he has arose again, and Pentecost has passed, and the church has been birthed, and it's exploding in size in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 4, the high priest calls in Peter and his crew and threatens them if they do not quit preaching in Jesus' name. Next, they go home and pray this prayer. Acts 4, 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their home and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. 
When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why did the nations rage and the people plot in vain? So their prayer continues. It concludes this way. Acts 4.28 They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All right, just a little context. Peter's life is threatened. He should be cowering. Instead, Peter is now praying for more boldness. That's faith and a real measure of the lack of the fear of man. Boldness is an aggressive attitude of attack and godly defiance toward opposition and fear. Adding another thing to the mix, boldness is counter to anything you see with your eyes. It's a full belief that the spirit realm, which is behind the scenes, has more for you than the enemies of the physical realm are against you. Is boldness stupid? Yes, but only in the natural. Was it foolish of Peter to pray that prayer? Yes, in the physical. But in the spirit, it was the greatest prayer he could have prayed at that moment. Also, take note here that the place was shaken. There's a parallel in our story as boldness and courage brought a shaking to the earth. Heaven is drawn to faith and boldness, and when heaven comes down, the earth is shaken. To attain the attribute of boldness and courage, you must have faith or act in faith. Faith, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I personally consider faith as God's magnet. Acts and hearts of faith draw heaven's attention to come down. As we advance to Jonathan's unbelievable story in this account, let's note here Jonathan did something absolutely ignorant in the natural, bordering complete stupidity in the natural. Now, whether he did this out of faith or overzeal of his youth or divine revelation, we don't completely know for sure. In fact, it may be a combination of all of these, but we do know his actions are recorded as an act of faith with determined courage and boldness that attracted heaven to not only deliver him from trouble, but bring victory to all of Israel. All right, enough of the preamble. Let's get to the story. Now it appears Saul still had 3,000 men, and they were gathered on the high ground, but they were pretty much surrounded near Gibeah as Philistine raiding parties spread throughout Israel, trashing the place. In the camp of Saul was the high priest Ahijah, and the Ark of the Covenant. Not content to possibly stay in a besieged camp, Jonathan, alone with his armor-bearer only, they snuck away from the camp. His armor-bearer was like a, the aides-to-camp of his day. Though they did the dirty work, like carrying heavy weapons during marches to conserve the strength of the warrior for battle, there were also men in training for greater purposes later. Obviously, Jonathan had a good relationship with his armor-bearer, for they fought together and consulted each other. Jonathan and his armor-bearer secretly went out to the Michmash Pass, which had two cliffs on either side held by the Philistines to pick a fight. 
You can find a general pick of the terrain on the net, and I will post a link on the Facebook page. It's a formidable pass and a foolish place to attack. Now, this is where the story gets really crazy. 1 Samuel 14.6 Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let us go over the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor-bearer said. Go ahead, I am with your heart and soul. Jonathan said, Come on, then. We will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say, Wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go to them. But if they say, Come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes and they are hiding in. Okay, let me summarize in case you had trouble following because I had to read it many times over because it just doesn't make sense to us in the natural. These two guys show up at the pass, look up at the formidable Philistine garrison on the cliffs and let themselves be seen and they say to each other, when the Philistines see us, if they say come up here to fight us, then the Lord has given them into our hands. If they respond differently, then the Lord has not given them into our hands. That's it. I mean, that's it. That was their counsel and strategy. Really? I mean, are you kidding me? No military general in his right mind would attack up a clip with only two guys in the wide open in the daylight. And that's how they did it. They got their revelation from God right there. That's the words. What a peculiar way to get a confirmation from God. 1 Samuel fourteen twelve. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor-bearer, Come up here to us, and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Climb up after me, and the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. So when the Philistines see them, and they say, Come up here and fight us, that was their sign from God that he had given them into their hands. I've heard it said this must have been one of the worst, I mean worst strategies in all of human history. Without the terrain, without the equipment, without the numbers, without the element of surprise, in the daylight, outnumbered, outgunned per se, outgeneraled, Jonathan attacked. Two guys against an enemy garrison, in the open, climbing up a hill. Sometimes I'm just amazed at the lack of detail in the Bible. Jewish historian Josephus doesn't add much either to this account. Commentaries don't add much, they just teach on the principles displayed. This is it for Jonathan's strategy. If they say, come up and fight, God has given them into our hands. It's just crazy and stupid in the natural, but in the spirit. It takes faith and a belief in something greater than themselves. And that's just it. Jonathan had amazing faith, as displayed by his boldness and courage. And also his previous statement from 1 Samuel 14.6. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. What powerful words that Jonathan said prior to his attack. There is an unsung hero in this account, Jonathan's unnamed armor bearer. Make sure here to notice his role as encourager and mighty warrior. 1 Samuel fourteen thirteen. 
Jonathan climbed up, using his hands and feet, with his armor-bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor-bearer killed some 20 men in an area about half an acre. What a wild picture of boldness. Check it out. Jonathan climbing up, using his hands and feet, with his armor-bearer behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan, and the armor-bearer killed them. They took out 20 Philistines in half an acre. Once his melee upon the clifftop was complete, God showed up in a big way. He had to have been present in Jonathan's original attack, but now heaven's armies really show up. An act of faith drew heaven's account. Now we see the unseen realm entering the conflict as God's armies show up for battle. Acts 14.15 Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and the field, and those in the outpost and raiding parties, and the ground shook, and there was a great panic sent by God. A panic crashed in the Philistine main camp, and an earthquake shook the ground. Remember Acts 4? And the enemy army melted away in all directions. Next, the Philistines were flown into total confusion by God, as their empowering demons were being bound by God's overpowering angels. Added this, but there had to be the unseen warfare going on as well. And at this point, the Philistines themselves, possibly against themselves and their own mercenary auxiliaries, begin to strike at each other with their own swords, sounding like the Midianites all over again. But only this time, it wasn't Gideon's 300, but Jonathan and his armor bearer who attacked. I have to say, what a bold act by Jonathan and his armor bearer to take on an entire enemy army regiment all by themselves. It is no wonder Jonathan is celebrated in the Bible. He was a mighty warrior, cementing himself as one of Israel's heroes for his boldness and courage. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, let's take a peek behind the veil. The Apostle Thomas earned his nickname Doubting Thomas when he doubted Jesus' resurrection unless he saw the holes in his hands. And when Jesus came to Thomas and showed him, he believed. Even as he said these words, Blessed is the man who believes and does not see. Jonathan did not see heaven's armies, but he knew they were there. And if we doubt it, the Bible gives us a peek behind the veil in 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha and his servant are surrounded by a small army, and his servant is terrified. But Elisha comforts his servant with this statement, Greater are the forces with us than those against us. In the natural, this made no sense. It was two against an army, but Elisha prayed for his servant. Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened Elisha's servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God goes on to blind the Arameans, and Elisha leads this army back to Samaria to possibly be slaughtered or imprisoned. When Israel's king sees them and leads them into his fortress, he asks Elisha, What shall we do? Shall we kill them? Elisha's answer is such a picture of the kindness of God, for his kindness brings us to repentance. His answer was to feed the enemies of God and to bless them 
and to send them home. His kindness brought peace to all of Israel. Never again in this generation did the Arameans attack Israel. Elisha had a seer gift of seeing heaven's armies. Joshua had the pleasure of seeing the commander of the Lord's army. Peter and even Thomas had the delight of seeing and speaking to the Lord face to face. But Jonathan? He did not. May we as a people, whether seeing or not seeing heaven's armies, have the courage and boldness to act in faith, knowing greater are the forces for us than those against us. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as the Battle of Michmash continues as Saul leads his remaining forces to attack the disorganized and panicked Philistines. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question, or if you want to chat, email me at messagetokings at gmail.com.